Sometimes it's just fun to talk about what you do. Talk about marketing, book marketing, all the things surrounding that. So I got in touch with Erin Rolfs, who is the assistant director and marketing manager at LSU Press, to see if she would like to uh, riff off some ideas and throw out some thoughts and concepts and look at the future of marketing. And, and thankfully, she said yes. So uh, on today's episode of 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast, I am joined by Erin. Well, hi, Erin. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Martin. Uh, so, yeah, so Erin and I uh, are going to basically throw marketing words and phrases back and forwards to each other and just kind of riff off of those and uh, see where our thoughts take us. So, <laughs> let's All go right. for it. <laughs> All right, I'll throw one out to you first. How about book covers? Okay, so I, I was really trying not to let Amazon dictate my every response <laughs> to this, but, but I do think um, more and more we're, we're shrinking the, the book covers down to the size that someone would see them on like a mobile platform or their desktop and assessing them from, from that. Uh, I guess POV more than um, just aesthetically. Um, and so that has a lot of implications on what we do with subtitles, because as you know, like with scholarly books, that's where the meat, <laughs> what the book's about. And so um, I think that's been an adjustment for us and our designers to take that um, smaller size, which I guess maybe was always a concern when you were thinking about ads, but, but now that we know the first time anyone's going to come across this book is likely going to be in that context it's just been kind of uh, brought to the to the fore but at the same time i was recently at um the southern festival of books and um i love watching people walk up and start petting like physically touching and petting <laughs> the titles and and so then there's a weird, um, I guess, dichotomy there because it does matter in that context, like the, the quality of the jacket and, and the mat lamb that we use. So those are just two kind of extreme examples that I think about when I'm trying to work with them with the um, production department. Um, but I kind of had a question for you, like do you, how many departments are involved when you guys are looking at the final? On cover? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll answer that. And I've got to throw one back to you straight away as well, because you okay. need to think about something. But um, so basically, so the way we do it here is design uh, offers us some comps, and that's to the acquiring editor, and then to me as the marketing director. And we, uh, you know, we we choose the one we like most, uh -huh. and then send it off to the uh, to the author. So uh, I guess three and I try and get you know the I try and get a a read on what my team thinks as well mm -hmm. so that we're you know it's not just me saying oh you know and we try and avoid the whole like I like this mm -hmm. therefore, you know, because really who cares whether I like it right it's whether the, whether the person at the other end who sees it like you say on a screen or on a 
bookshelf likes it more? Does it work for them? So, yeah, three three teams, I suppose, but but sort of three people as well. Yeah. Same for you. Well, we use um, we actually route it through uh, the editorial or the manuscript editing department to make sure that the really because we are in such a tight timeline to make sure that the title memo got across and like there's nothing crazy going on there and they usually have a really good eye for oh wait that's actually a cotton field back there and these people were soybean farmers or something you know so yeah. we really value that attention to detail that they're going to see because at that point in the process they're just more intimate with the content than we are yeah. Um, but yeah, mostly it's just between marketing and acquisitions and then we take it to the, the author, but you're right. The, I like this, or I always, I love blue. I mean, and, and I would say for myself, it's even, I have to, because I have a background in art history, I have to turn that part of my, part of that part of my brain off because you aren't thinking of it as a work of art. You're like, is this effective marketing tool? And sometimes they intersect and sometimes they don't so um yeah well yeah so um i mean we we obviously make sure that the manuscript editorial and production teams are weighing in to make sure that we're not missing something mm -hmm. right um but you said something uh when you were first thinking about book covers um and you were talking about you know like uh designing them to take into account the, the, the modern tendency for seeing them online first, right? Right. But are you guys already doing that? You're already designing covers with that as your primary goal rather than the tangible pick it up and feel it, pet it approach? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's, that's my, they know that, so we route this thing through our project management system. We route the JPEG and as soon as I open it, I shrink it down to <laughs> to Amazon size, and if it registers that on that size, then then I'll go ahead with it. So they know that I'm gonna assess it from that point of view. I say Amazon from an online vendor cool. size, yeah. and um, and now of course you can always expand in, but that's just not how they're gonna come across it at first. So if it doesn't have an impact at that size and if the key elements aren't coming across or if they've done something that on a you know nine and a half by six book that little detail is actually really clever and someone would respond to it but it gets muddied when you shrink it down then those are elements that i tend to ask them to change mm -hmm. um, that's interesting i think you know we, i think we're going to talk about kind of like our visions of the future of marketing here in a little bit and yeah. I would say that you're already way out there and if, if you guys are designed I think we all like to think we're designing with that in mind but then you know somebody gets hold of the book and they're like oh no it's it needs to have this beautiful little thing on it that nobody will ever see but it right. was, yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's uh, I, I have to give them a lot of um Credit because they they really do trust that and we, we don't tend to um, butt heads about it that much I mean um, because uh, and I will say the acquisitions team too if only because that subtitle so it's kind of a different motive because that subtitle is so important to them and it's you really do need to read it from 
in most cases, but um, to get what the book's about. So yeah, so it does it does make um, it makes sense for most of us, and I think the department, the production department's been really good about adapting to that. Cool. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. Next up. Okay. So my my word for words for you were uh, data management. Yeah. All right. Data management. Hmm. Exciting. <laughs> and yet, like, I, I don't remember where I was. Oh, I was, uh, I was um, doing a little lecture for Dean Smith, my, our director here. He teaches an online class. And I was, huh? he asked me to come in and, and chat about marketing. And, and um, so I was just like, data, data, data. That's the king, right? Because right. really that is what marketing has boiled down to in some ways. I mean, Mm. There's a lot more creativity to it still than just data, but if you don't have that data, then you're kind of in trouble. And then managing it, yeah, I think I think for many of us, that's probably the biggest uh, difficulty. I think if you're not, you know, LSU is a decent-sized press, Cornell's a decent-sized press, but we're not, you know, uh, Harvard, right? right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, having people to manage that data consistently and accurately and effectively I think is really important and we we actually I mean we're in the process of kind of like restructuring the marketing team here mm -hmm. and um, so as part of that one of my teams now going to be really focused on data management um, you know particularly in, in, in terms of getting uh, trying to get to industry standards and, and beyond for Onyx and things like that so yeah I just think it's crucial and it's really easy to dismiss it as um, number crunching or whatever you might want to call it. But if you don't have good data, I mean, you can't even do a good website if you don't have good data, right? Because, right, yeah. Yeah, so, and you know, how are you going to make sure that Amazon, you know, you said we, we want to avoid Amazon on every answer, but <laughs> really you have to talk about Amazon because yeah. it's, it's such a big chunk of our sales. So if you don't have good data, they're not going to put their book your book front and center uh, when somebody does a search. Um, so yeah, I think the managing of data, the production of data, the creation of data, all of these things, um, I, you know, I really think that we're gonna get to the point here in not too long, you know, I'm restructuring the marketing team right now, but maybe in three, four, five years, we'll restructure again, and the positions will be things like data creator, mm -hmm. and data manager and stuff like that, so that, that side of the business is taken care of what about what do you think yeah no and I, I mean i would even add to that uh, the longer term implications of having someone to go back and audit the data you thought you needed in 2012. i mean because now you're, trying, you're like okay whoa you have to go back and do your backlist and add keywords and maybe a table yeah. of contents and so it's it's mind-boggling but but it's also really empowering I think and exciting that it's like you can have these um, these factors kind of working in the background to your uh, for your backlist too to sort of give you a bump and so it does present a lot of opportunities but you're absolutely right and I also think it's <laughs> it's somewhat funny that data management is I think I think people who don't have jobs that involve that it seems like an IT function but you're absolutely right that it's a creative um, exercise because you're you're it's the same thing as any other aspect of marketing where you're trying to think of 
what kind of information is going to be the most relevant to the person who's looking for this book. And, um, yeah, so it's been, uh, I think that has asked the our press to restructure not just the marketing department, but um, acquisitions and edit, manuscript editing too, because a lot of the times they're conveying data to us through a form or a meeting that really needs to be inside of a system so we don't have to put it in there again, like table of contents, like yeah. where the author lives, things like that. Um, so we've been able to... Uh, kind of redirect that energy into one central place, <laughs> database, and, um, and not, and try to get rid of some of the redundancies there, but it's, it's definitely a work in progress. And like you say, it's just going to change again in, in two years time. So that's a fun thing though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the data points, uh, and, and you kind of mentioned it was like, addresses and stuff but leads me to my next word for you which is authors yes um i actually had a, a kind of anti-data response to this because i i think lately so initially my approach to working with authors has always been um or up until recently was okay what we need to do is get our priorities straight and get everybody on the same page and as long as we're both looking at the same checklist um, they'll be happy, they'll be proactive, we'll know what we're doing, everything will be in sync and books will be sold. And um, I think recently it's just, a, <laughs> it's kind of occurred to me that, that what they need is um, to be empowered, not, not, to, not necessarily, I mean, we still have a checklist that we have to um, complete in order to best support them, but um, at the risk of sounding really sentimental and wish, wishy-washy or something, I think um, they need confidence from their publishers because the decision, even for some of our academics, to publish with LSU Press was largely how they felt about us. And yeah, a lot of that is um, built on top of the prizes we've won or you know the way we've succeeded in one subject area or another but it's largely I like from what I can tell an emotional decision so a lot of times when we do our author calls or when we're working with them I just kind of changed my very pragmatic sort of um, linear way of dealing with it to be a bit more um, warm and, and, and see things as opportunities because I do think, as you know, maybe it's not, we don't talk about it, but like, uh, the marketing department's relationship with our authors is so different than every other point in every other relationship up until this point, because we are having to, um, weigh their needs against the needs of everybody else who's coming out that season. And, um, and so, yeah, I think it's an emotional answer, but I think that's what I've been spending a lot of my time thinking about is how can I make them feel confident and empowered and, and not turn it into a relationship where I'm constantly having to say no <laughs> or um, um, anticipating that there's going to be an antagonism there. Cool. Yeah. I think the, the emotional and the empowering of, that's a really interesting concept. It's something I'll have to take on, give some thought to as well. <laughs> yeah, cause you don't, cause up until this point I've spent, I'm like, okay, they need a guideline and they need um, to get a 
you know, briefing on social media and like uh, get them working on this really early or um, explain to them how Amazon works and all of this stuff. And I, and I, I think some of them really appreciate that. And I'm glad we have those resources for them. And I'm very clear about, it's about resources. It's not about confidence in your book. Like if we're limited in any way, but the, um, but the more and more I try to push it on a, um, just purely what's the word, like non-personal level, Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't seem to, it actually works better if you can give them a little bit of a, <laughs> of emotion. And I don't mean to be in a manipulative way, but just to be like, yeah, I don't know, supportive and, and positive seems to go a lot further than any checklist or um, report I've ever devised for most of the authors. So anyway, that's, that's we been, could, we could probably spend like a solid hour just talking. Yeah. About just talking about authors. Yeah. 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 Okay, so so then um, kind of another relationship <laughs> that can be uh, run the spectrum of emotions. My word for you was libraries. Yeah, I'm not sure whether that, that I <laughs> other than um, wondering where they all went to. No, I, the, yeah. <laughs> um, I tell you actually the, the the thing that when when I read, uh, you know, when when I saw that you were going to suggest the word libraries to me. What I really thought, honestly, it, it was the, the complete uh, opposite of the kind of thing we want to talk about at the end, which is the future. Mm. And that, in a way, that's sort of weird because I'll come to this, but you know, the libraries are the future, but they're also like this really um, old fashioned thing where so many of, of the people in our industry are like, well, we'll just sell 300, 400 copies to libraries and we'll be fine, right? And that doesn't happen anymore. Right. I mean, that, that day has gone. And I think it, it went really quickly. It went from like a solid, solid part of the audience in the market that you could guarantee and therefore you could basically uh, cover the cost of a book um, to overnight almost just dropped off. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah I think my, my immediate reaction to the word libraries is like, okay, that's gone, done. Uh, no, <laughs> Don't have anything else to say. Off. Yeah. But then there's a second part of it. It's like, well, okay, but they're now the future. Um, but in terms of things like open access and aggregation and, and quite honestly, data management, going back to that, yeah. um, you know, the different kinds of metadata they need, the, you know, just, just, there's so many aspects of what libraries do and do well that we as publishers will have to tap into. Mm-hmm. It, I don't think anymore it's going to be in terms of like classic book sales. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I, um, yeah, there was like a few years ago, just this flare up of what, you know, where we were like, where, where did the sales go and, mm-hmm. and how are we going to handle what the aggregators have done to this relationship or to this, um, to this transaction or these, these sales that we're used to, to, okay. Yeah. It, and, and, it, and to one and to a certain degree, and, and maybe you'll agree, I, I almost feel like it's better now because it's kind of neutralized the relationship. So hopefully, uh, yeah, I agree that their background in, in data management and even just the archiving of that data would yeah. find some, we would find some place to partner where that's concerned. Um, yeah, I think that's, I, th- I think that's a really good point that how do you, part, you know, 
um, there's a number of presses that, and a number of libraries, perhaps is a better way of putting it, that are trying to get into publishing. And I don't necessarily think that's the greatest partnership, but I do think there are some really solid ways that presses can, university presses can partner, particularly with their own library, mm -hmm. but also with yeah. others, um, to become, you know, a really strong uh, relationship. But I just, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily the, the old one of we, we print a book and you buy it. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and it's been difficult to, um, I mean, does, has that changed your behavior as to whether or not you're going to um, digitize, like create an ebook for a certain title or make it available through an aggregation service? Like, do you find yourself, is that, does it even matter anymore? Do you? Uh, my take on that is make everything available in every possible way. Yeah. Um, and work out how to take advantage of it. I, mm -hmm. you know, I know a lot of people, maybe, I'm not sure how you feel about this yourself, but I, I know some people really think that you shouldn't make every book available to like the aggregators. But I would just say why, because if it increases the uh, what they will take and pay and put into a, a, a collection, and if, yeah. that, you know, if that means that uh, you increase the the revenue from that aggregator, then I'd say great. And like, it doesn't really, you know, that's the great thing is that now, you know, maybe for a long time it was uh, cost prohibitive to make all these different formats, but really now it's not. So it's, you know, with the exception of, you know, the really, really high end product, right. yeah. um, I'd say, yeah, just throw them in there and, and go for it. But that's just, that's me. Well, yeah. I think it's press specific. I mean, what would I hear the, that you're, if you if you think at some point those titles are going to be course adopted, which is also um, <laughs> similar to what are you talking about with library sales because course adopted, but if you if you happen to be a press that that's still a major part of your income somehow, I think that's always that's the big reservation. But do you have any? I mean, I, certainly my experience with this is that it is not affecting the print sales of quote unquote course adoption books are you seeing that because i'm not seeing i'm not seeing that well it's kind of deceptive because if you so you can look at the one example i would give has a other variable that might have influenced this but you know we published uh 12 years of slave like the original um edited edition in 1969 and so from there until when the movie came out, which so happened to be the same year that aggregators really took off, mm -hmm. um, the sales like immediately plummeted in print. And um, and so it's masked a little bit by the um, debut of that movie because oftentimes when something hits sort of the popular mainstream, it's been our experience that the um, college level, you know, professors are like, okay, well, we're not going to use that one anymore, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it, it also brings rise to other slave narratives. So that's good. I mean, maybe they're using a variety of mm -hmm. texts, but um, so that's one thing that we definitely saw plummet that mm -hmm. we've had numbers on since the seventies. So, um, but like I said, that's a really weird example because of the other things that took place. Um, hmm. I think part of it is when you look at, when you look at the usage statistics 
um, through some of the aggregators and you and you look at the kind of books and the number of hits and downloads, it's really startling. And so I think there's a bit of, um, I don't know if you want to call it a chicken and egg thing, where you want to believe that had the print book only been available, the same level of interactions would have taken place and you would have been able to monetize those. And on the other hand, the person's going, no, actually it's because it was so accessible and the, the threshold to accessing it was so low. That's why you see those numbers. So I think we... But it's still monetized, right? I mean... Yeah, just to it, just in this piecemeal fashion because, you know, but yeah, I mean, I agree with you that more and more it's just less of a concern. I mean, there's nothing, there's not much you're going to be able to do with it because they're going to get to it one way or another, you know, in the cheapest means possible. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, speaking of cheapest means possible, everybody <laughs> thinks that your segues are so good from one to the other. Okay. Everybody, you know, everybody thinks social media is really yeah. cheap, but I'm just going to throw. I mean, just just talk about social media, whatever comes to mind. Okay. Yeah. Uh, social media. Okay. Well, I on the positive side, we just started experimenting with Instagram ads for some of our photo heavy books mm -hmm. and um, I don't have any 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 metrics that would, <laughs> would claim that this is like impacting sales but it's been fascinating to get the demographic information from Facebook and Amazon um, hmm. using those platforms and and I'm fantasizing that one day I would actually use that information to then influence what I did in other aspects of the marketing plan um, but I think one of the coolest things we've been able to do through um, Cision, which is the you know the company we use for our uh, date you know press database and media database, um, is now they've got a platform or like a, an extra uh, feature on their platform that is called Conversations, and it allows you to search. I mean, you could kind of do this. You could do this within Twitter yourself, but the you search conversations on Twitter and try to pull up the most recent tweets um, on a particular topic, but those handles are tied to the media database. So, so for us, uh, more and more um, for our trade titles, we we're looking to secure a key tweet <laughs> if we can um, more than a, a blurb for the back of the book. So, are you going to use tweets for? For blurbs. Oh, I don't know. I never even thought about that. Because that, I mean, that would be. I never even occurred to me. <laughs> if you're gonna get a, if you're going after a key tweet, then. Yeah. Why wouldn't you put it on the book? Can you? I don't know. Does it make? I sense? don't know. I, I think mean, you can, but. I don't understand why it wouldn't work because, I mean, if the person's credentials are there, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether they emailed it to you or tweeted it. So. You, yeah, that's um, funny. Do you use Amazon and Goodread reviews and stuff as, as uh, on books? I have not, no. Well, you see, and that, that to me, because of the profiles, I'm not exactly sure who's talking about it. And I still think that that authority makes a difference, you know, but um, at least with when we're targeting who we want to tweet about this book, we already know who they are, whereas yeah, the... Yeah. But that's an interesting thought to get. Do you pay more for the conversations part of Cision? No, it's just a it's just a new thing they've tacked on to their standard database that they give you. Mm -hmm. 
we do use them for distribution and I can't remember now if that's something you can opt in and out of. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah. Huh. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were on a roll, but you just got me thinking about Oh, that. I don't know. I like the idea of just asking because you kind of get, I guess the timing is the issue. So no, right. I mean, yeah. in the moment, do you kind of like, <laughs> but at the same time, it's still there. I mean, yeah. If somebody said, I mean, I guess if somebody really cool says something really cool about your book on Twitter, then why not, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think you could use it. Just as long, I mean, the 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 key is that it's attributable and you know who the person is. So that's interesting. Maybe they would just sort of retweet it when the book came out. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's the whole thing with social, right? Is that you don't need to take it out of the social platform. You can just leave it in there in a way you're not getting, I mean, the, you know, the point and sense of putting, say, I don't know, New York Times review on the front cover mm -hmm. is that not everybody saw the New York Times and no, not everybody can go back to that particular yeah. Sunday edition or whatever and get it. Whereas I suppose with social, in a way, you're, if, if you take it out of the platform, are you losing the, the benefit of it? The meaning, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I. <laughs> I didn't think about that. I, my my instinct is to say no. You're not you're not going to lose it necessarily. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I don't know if you're like uh, we <laughs> we had an author one time who well like do you say um, such and such on Twitter? Like do you have to say that they said that there? You just it, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. So yeah. something like yeah. Something I feel like this is uh, you know. Uh, this is an AAUP panel right here. Like, yeah. how to use social media outside of social platforms. That's a really good point. Yeah, because it, and I would say that even our authors have kind of challenged us in that way where they've, they've brought praise to us. One that, that doesn't, even people who aren't necessarily, um, like for instance, we have a poet who's just wonderful and she has a, she had a, praise from um david lynch like the director of the, and, and we were like well what what does he you know it was really we had to think all of that through but i think aesthetically it made a lot of sense that he would be someone who would endorse her work but that was in an email to her not to us and you know oh, so, sure. so yeah there's that's a little bit off to the side but yeah definitely within social media how to use it but Again, I think it just goes back to knowing that you're attributing it correctly and verifying the person. And I think it's okay. But yeah, from the tweeter's perspective, do you have to get their permission? <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, no, I, I would say no, because it's out in the public. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would say no. Um, are you... Uh... <laughs> No, carry on, carry on. Okay, okay, yeah, no, so so I think, well, I guess then, because I was trying to be more, more positive about it, but um, I mean, I think we, we spend a lot of time trying to keep the content on our blog fresh and on Facebook, and like I said, we're on Instagram and on Twitter, and it's it, that's another full-time job. And I think a lot of times we get concerned that we're we're just talking to um, 
I mean, the people who are going to follow LSU Press, you know, and the people who are going to pay attention to what we post, I don't know if, if they're all, I mean, they're not going to be the audience for necessarily the book or the thing you're trying to push. And so we usually try to get the author involved in that way, or we, we work with the, um, some kind of Facebook group or online community that already has a following that's really targeted to that specific thing, whether it's like vintage photography or Cajun cooking or something. Um, and so that helps us get outside of the, I don't know, the bubble that we talk to when we're speaking as LSU press. Um, but that takes a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I, I go back and forth on, how much time and energy I want to devote to that. I don't know if you guys are as insecure about it as, as I am. But. Um, well, I'm just about to hire a social media person. So, okay. so yeah. you know, I, I mean, it'll be a new uh, venture for Cornell. And so, I mean, you know, putting somebody just solely responsible for the blog and the social platforms, but it'd be interesting to see what happens with that. Well, and I, I mean, I think that in that scenario where you've got one person who's really going to focus on that, then it's, I mean, I think that makes absolute sense. Mm -hmm. It's just when we're with, you know, here, we've got the same person submitting to prizes and securing, blur, you know, yeah. so then it's in that context that you have to question what the proportions are going to be. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess this is because I think we're going sort of we're weaving in almost like an, an the, <laughs> these tried and true marketing ideas with things that we have to deal with in the last you know decade or five years. But I think my my word for you was exhibits. Is that what? Yeah. So That's interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting switch, right? Because in, in yeah, exhibits is old school, and in some ways, social is new school. Yeah. Uh, I you know I just have a really mixed uh, response to exhibits, I guess. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know that I can quantify it very well, but mm -hmm. um, I, you know what, there's a part of me that thinks in some ways exhibits are the non-digital version of social. Yeah. So it's sort of the, you know, um, putting yourself in the middle of the conversation and hoping that people come by the booth and see you just as it is with social sort of, you know, putting stuff out there and hoping that people see it. Right. Um, and it's also targeted in the same way that social is because, you know, you're there at a specific, with a specific niche group of your audience um, to go after. One of the things that, that I think about when I think about exhibits is like how to make them really effective from a marketing perspective. Right. I think, for at least for our business, the, our side of the business, right, the university press world, they're really an acquisitions thing. Um, and so an acquiring editor is there to get more books, mm -hmm. which is great and serves a very large purpose in their day-to-day -day work. But how do we make it really effective from a marketing perspective? Because it's a, it's a big chunk of change mm -hmm. um, out of the yearly budget. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's the, I think that's my biggest thing is it's more of a question mark for me. Like, how do we take advantage of this thing that we're already doing 
uh, mm -hmm. in a way that helps us um, with brand recognition, with um, talking to our audience and our market and actually selling books as well. So it's really at this point still questions for me, I guess. Yeah. Sort of formulating, thinking, reevaluating. Um, yeah, what about you? Well, yeah, it, it's the same. It's the same struggle where you can't measure it by the same, um, you know, ruler that you do mostly everything else that we are asked to execute because it is it is so fundamentally um, social, <laughs> as you say, in the, in the analog sense. And so, um, and I and I mean, I I guess when when I attend them, especially. Not trade shows, you know, just the just yeah. I'm putting those to one side, yeah, because I think trade shows are different. different. Yeah, um, I mean, I do see, I guess I do see the impact it's having on our current and prospective authors, and and I, and I think that that's um, I can see it. I mean, I get the value, but it is a it is a, for us at least a question of resources, and and if we're if the marketing and sales department is being measured by our yearly sales goal <laughs> how do you it's hard to see how some of these things are actually coming back into that that end goal even though i know it's maybe two years in the future because that author saw us there but yeah. um but i i think it's part of part of remedying some of the usefulness of those functions may boil down to creating a better, um, I don't know, a less, and I thought about this too, when we, when we decided that we might talk about what the future looks like, because we, the departmentalization of what we do in university presses seems like a, um, an unnecessary hurdle. Like we're, we're creating challenges for ourselves when we already have all these external challenges by trying so hard to keep these little compartments contained and, and at exhibits, if, if there was a little bit more fluidity of, um, what's the word, like sort of motive and, and working relationships. And I think you could make more out of those exhibits because your acquisitions editors would think like marketers and your marketers would think like acquisitions editors. And, um, so it might, it may come back down to the internal workings of the press. Maybe, no. but uh, yeah, so I mean, we definitely are still showing up at the same exhibits we've been doing for a long time. Um, so I don't know that there's a lot that's going to change there. And there's a lot of pressure from our authors. And, and you may have this too, where if we try to go into a different subject area, now we've got a whole other world of exhibit pressures yeah. and opportunities. Yeah. I know, I know. It, I think you kind of nailed it there. I, I, I'm not even gonna. Yeah, I'm not. Okay, even, we'll leave it. We'll leave it. <laughs> I, I'm actually gonna. I'm gonna skip uh, straight to the future now. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. So okay. So that is it. The future. The future. <laughs> and I just think. I guess. I just wanted. <laughs> I have this fantasy where LSU Press has its own drone, and oh. we still <laughs> like a drone force. To go to, the, to go to exhibits or what? <laughs> Whatever. And we're just dropping them off like like little babies of the snort. Of the, so, so um, uh, yeah, I don't know. But but that's just a silly way of saying that, um, yeah, the idea of where our presence actually is and, and working with 
with the United States and Amazon to, um, to figure out where we sit in that because it's, I mean, this latest kerfuffle with the um, selling the buy button on, oh, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, and so my, um, I think it's the same, <laughs> I think I'm in the same state of mind as I, as I was when we were talking about the authors where I'm like, you know, sometimes when I just sit down and I, and I try to pretend someone who's not Amazon is presenting these, um, these changes to me, yeah. a lot of them make a lot of sense. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I, I don't know that that's, that's really where the, where the problem is. Um, because that whole reaction, what, what, what did you, not think what that, your reaction was, but the reaction to that buy button thing. Um, you feel like that was about right, way off the way off the map. I mean, you, the 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 like outrage over the yeah, fact like publishers outrage at Amazon, yeah. kind of like you say, selling its buy button. Um, I, I think it it is a startling thing to see, and I, and I've had um, a few authors who misinterpret that as us being out of stock. Yeah. So, so that point taken, that's a little frustrating and we have to, um, you know, s explain what's happening, but unless you're grossly remaindering like what? all of your books, the setup is exactly as it's always been. I mean, you don't sell the book. Yeah. Your no. margin's the okay. same. And, and the, if you're like, I mean, I'm not. I'm not that unique. When I go to, if I were to buy a book on Amazon that I can't find elsewhere, I'm going and I'm opening up all the possible sales opportunities and trying to balance the quality against the price, against the free shipping. So I've always been looking at those um, options. So yeah, I don't, I, I think we get, that's what I mean. When I think about the future, it's almost like I, I'm reconciling or I'm going, you know, we, we can't get, we can't be so alarmist at every single change that happens and really and create this adversarial relationship from the start. And I believe me, there's some reasons to feel that way, but it's also not maybe, it's not the sea change that you think it is. Like take eBooks, for example. I mean, my God, we thought we were like, oh, we're all going to be out of jobs, <laughs> you know? And that was in 2010 or, I mean... You know, in the publishing world, maybe we're all, everybody's just like super conditioned to to react, as opposed to be you know a little bit more circumspect and, and understanding. Maybe I mean, and again, I I I am not I'm not trying to put myself in any state of mind that I, like I totally understand both reactions, and I and I would blame anyone if they accuse me of being uh, too. Um, calm <laughs> in the face of certain things but um i i think there's there are so many other forces at work and there it's not that novel that a a, a book a customer is looking for the cheapest possible option and i mean that 50 i mean 50 percent off section at Barnes and Noble's been there for a while mm -hmm. and that's where everybody goes to. Yeah. And this is just, you know, I will say though that I, one part that I get, I, I, I get a little itchy about is going back to the question about 
data management and all the work the publisher put into making that book discoverable and um, setting up the record with Amazon and maintaining it and auditing all that stuff. I mean, that comes at a price. But again, if they're selling, no one can get your book at a discount that you don't approve of at least the first time. So, you know, there's that. But how that impacts the future, I guess, just I'm hoping that over these last few years of really, I think, I think which is, it's still tumultuous change. I, I wouldn't deny that description. It's definitely, um, we're dealing with a lot of new circumstances here, but I just hope it creates maybe a more resilient way of working, both within, like between libraries and the publishers and, um, and interdepartmentally too. So I just see a lot of opportunity to break through those to those traditional divisions of labor and expertise um, so that we can try to, let's, I don't want to be too abstract here, but <laughs> like pull together a, a critical mass of knowledge that actually does make us more stable in the face of something as big as Amazon. Um, so kind of the reverse of divide and conquer, but cool. yeah. Um, but I don't know. I don't, we're still, it, it's, and I think that university presses amongst themselves are, it seems to me they are embracing that to a greater degree, but maybe I'm just paying attention more. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think we're pretty collegial. I would like to actually see a lot more, like, you know, I would like to see a lot more of the, uh, coming together and, um, pooling resources and sharing information and things like that because i think we'd actually would all do a lot better and you know speaking of like amazon in the future i mean i will honestly i would happily embrace um ever more amazon if i could just get their data right <laughs> well actually no I will, I'll, I'll take that back if i could just get my data yes amazon, yeah right i'd be all in because i think you have, have they have access to people like you like we could never imagine, right? Absolutely. No, I mean, the stuff that they're willing to share with our authors and not us, even I just, if I could just be a ghost author for, I mean, that would, that would be cool. Yeah, absolutely. But again, I think it just goes back to how, how that division, I mean, Amazon uses that separation to its advantage. Sure. And so when you can break down those separations elsewhere, you know, when it's within your control, but yeah, if Amazon would just, <laughs> just give a little it, yeah. it, it would yeah and I mean I know what I would say and you can weigh in on this too I'm not I'm also not entirely disappointed with the way Amazon has um how do I say this without being insensitive mm -hmm. sort of sort of challenged bookstores to Put another element into what they're doing and and make their physical presence in a neighborhood matter in like a very specific way no, and I think yeah i think you you know there's been like a, a little there's been an, a, a well talked about uh resurgence recently of mm -hmm. bookstores and i think you're exactly right i think that is the amazon challenge and you know you sit and talk to a bunch of independent booksellers and there is an actual like visible physical mental hatred of amazon right mm -hmm. and yet i think it has caused them to become 
a really, really vibrant and important part of their communities. And the ones who do it really well uh, learn from that challenge and take advantage of it. And I think, you know, and I think independent bookstores are going to be that I actually I am hopeful for their um, role in the future of what we do. It just it's never going to be what it was, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, because Amazon I mean, like literally, you know, they're, they're talking about now you can get your drugs from, not, I mean, your medicines. <laughs> you can probably get your drugs as well, who knows? But right. yeah, I mean, when we're at the point where we, that isn't going to get turned off, but the businesses, the, the local movement and the local aspect of, of independent businesses in all their senses is to respond to that behemoth challenge mm-hmm. and give themselves, or give their customers something unique and different that they can't get from an online shopping experience. And I think that it's going to be a challenge for us as booksellers as well, books, sorry, book publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we, going back to something you said right at the beginning about covers uh, and the importance of subtitles to what we do. I mean, honestly, I think we're not that far away from just getting rid of titles and just having subtitles as the main title, because, you know, that really is the only thing in the metadata that's important, mm-hmm. uh, the keywords and the kind of search term aspects of it. And when it comes to a cover, you're right. Mostly it's that subtitle that's going to be crucial, but that isn't going to work for our independent bookstore partners. Um, mm-hmm. Although how many of those buy a $50 book? I don't know, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. And I, and so I, I think another point that, that you're making is just the, increasingly um nuanced nature of our work where we have to pay it to be really sensitive of when are we switching from talking about a, a book that um a, not just academic and trade but who you know where those audiences are um and and that data and the bookstore and all those things come into it so like the i have this fantasy of when um you know, when people were working in book publishing and they were, you know, taking cigarette breaks in between phone calls or something. I mean, I don't know how they did it, but um, just, yeah, it gets more and more and more and more granular what we're doing. Um, and I don't see that going away. Um, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, the, that's the funny thing, right? I mean, this will be my last point, but feel free. Okay. But I think that's the funny thing about the, the now and the future, if you like, is that marketing we now have the opportunity to market individually, right? Like this is not where we are producing mass marketing for and hoping that somebody sees it. We can actually talk to an individual consumer and say, you would like this book, right? right. And that's that like granularity and it's not gonna go in a way, a way. And if anything, it is working out how to um, take advantage of that information uh, and that specificity and that um, individual nature of what we do now that's going to be the key to how we succeed. And if, if I mean, that's the thing. Like, if I can talk ten, to 10 people directly and each of those people buy a book, in many ways, that's way more effective than if I talk to uh, 100 people and 10 people buy a book, right? right. Like, one-to-one return is is pretty great. But how do you do that effectively and on a sort of, you know, hundred plus books a year basis, mm-hmm. that's going to be a challenge for us. But I think, you know, data management and all the things we've talked about will, will kind of key into some of that as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It'll, all, it'll all play in together, but yeah, I'm on, I'm on board with what you're saying. So what's your, give me your, your, uh, 
give me a positive view of the future to end with. Okay. Um, well, I, I do think that what the, the outcome of all of this, of working so hard to get the, the right information in front of the right people and specializing that information um, so that we can really target who this, this book is for and who's going to utilize this research, research really does play into the university press mission of disseminating knowledge and accessibility. So at the end of the day, I mean, we're sales and marketing people and we really are looking at numbers and and money but in the process it really is has serves these two masters of we do want to make sure that we're covering our bills but in the process of doing that it it um, necessitates um, just ever increasing accessibility and Amazon's a part of that and I think the person-to-person -person interaction at bookstores are a part of that I think the, the again going back to making sure that inside of a press everybody's kind of touching on what everybody or is, is fully informed and, and appreciative and understands the full mission is a part of that and um and i mean even just going back to the experimental thing with instagram and decisions conversations feature this is all only going to help us um connect those dots faster and more frequently so so yeah i mean i think overall it, it is a positive thing all right um, <laughs> excellent. You know, it's funny because, uh, you know, we said, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll do like 15, 20 minutes conversation. And <laughs> we do an hour? Oh, God. All probably, right. Probably closer to an hour. So that's great. I mean, I think we probably could have just carried on anyway. But um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, this thank you. This was not painful at all. <laughs> I was really worried. <laughs> well, I'm glad it didn't hurt. And I no. appreciate you uh, taking a chunk of your afternoon out to... Uh, Oh, of course. Just to kind of riff and think. It's fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Erin. All right. That was Erin Rolfs, Assistant Director and Marketing Manager at LSU Press. Uh, I'm Martin Beanie. We're both on Twitter. You can find Erin at Erin Rolfs, E-R-I-N-R-O-L-F-S. And you can find me at Martin Beanie, M-A-R-T-Y-N. B-E-E-N-Y. You've been listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast.